prepared to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. It's Monday, April the 9th. We are into April already, the day after Easter. It's been a crazy week for the Kyle Serafin Show and for my, me and my family. We just got settled in here in Central Texas, and I spent about 10 hours on the road two different times. The second time, I got to do it with former FBI agent and fellow suspendable, Garrett O'Boyle, who you can find on Twitter at GOBactual. We spent a bunch of time talking about what the heck is going on in the world, what's going on in this country, what's going on with our former employer. Some of that stuff is going to be discussed uh, in this show right now. He got to get the inside scoop because we took some phone calls while we were rolling from current and former FBI employees, and uh, we're going to give you some inside baseball that uh, I don't think anybody else is reporting on because I don't think anybody else has access to it. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about two things the left is, is bantering on about right now, gun control and trans rights. Are they related? What the heck are they talking about? Is this signal? Is it noise? We'll get into that. Coin Intel Pro, are we seeing a resurgence of this program? Many people are not familiar with this 1950s, 60s, and 70s uh, program and the number of sins that the FBI committed doing those things. I want to give some historical perspective. And then we're going to reflect on whether or not this is getting done again or what's going on there. Uh, our friend Dan Bongino did a great interview on Saturday night about the federal air marshals. I'm going to share some Inside scoop there as well. I worked with some federal air marshals for a little bit, and some of my buddies are former federal air marshals, current FBI agents. Uh, we had a pretty good perspective there. I got to spend a day at their training facility and see what they're all about, talking about what kind of surveillance they are able to do and and what they might be involved in. So we're going to get a little little deeper into that than uh, than what Dan was able to do, I think, on that, just because Fox is one of those fast-paced, short-form programs. Uh, well, we got a little bit more time here. Uh, and then stick around at the end because we're going to talk about what the heck went on in Boston and why the FBI arrested a pilot who did nothing wrong. What sort of uh, infractions that may involve, what sort of civil liberties may have been offended. Um, I don't think anybody else is reporting the whole story because I don't think anybody else has access to it. So again, stick around here. We'll talk about that soon. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Patriot Coolers. You can find them at patriotcoolers.com. This one is mine. I've got a couple other ones downstairs. I got a stainless steel. I got a black one. Um, I'm a big fan of the way these things look. I like the way they feel. I like that they fit in a cup holder. I like the design. It's thoughtful. You got 13 stripes right here, just like our flag, just like the one behind me. You got 50 stars on the bottom for all the uh, the stars on our flag. It is a uh, it's a durable product. It holds water. It holds uh, coffee. It holds whatever it is that you're trying to keep at temperature big fan of that carried it with me all the way through the airport uh into new mexico and then it drove with me on the way home we've got the uh the soft-sided uh, coolers as well which are really useful you can tuck stuff in there keep them hot or cold actually they work both ways and uh you know if you want to get some of their more durable goods like their rotomoted stuff they're made in the same factories that you see that anybody else is making their products in fact they've told me they've gotten they've gotten uh competitors we'll call them shipped to their factory in or their uh, distributing center here in Texas. And they went like, Oh, this is not our brand, but so be it. That just tells you it's the same exact quality you're getting, but a better price. It's going to also support disabled vets. They've donated up to almost $400,000 since the company started in 2017. And, um, 
They are a supporter of the Kyle Serafin Show, so we appreciate you supporting them. You can use promo code Kyle. That's promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. You'll get 10% off your order. And if it's over 50 bucks, you'll get free shipping. Such a good deal and um, solid product. So if you're in the market for a tumbler or if you're in the market for a cooler, check them out, patriotcoolers.com. Let's rock and roll on this stuff. Let's get moving. Um, I'm going to talk to you right now about gun control. And who better to talk to us about gun control than every town for gun safety? This is a terrible organization. Many of you may know that it's uh, it's run by the Bloomberg. This is where the money went to us to start it. They've got the Moms Demand Action. I don't know if anybody has ever uh, dealt with Moms Demanding Action, but I actually went to a uh, school board. What was it? It was a school town hall. It was actually hosted by J- Jerry Connolly, who was the uh, congressman from my district in Virginia. And uh, the uh, former speaker of the Virginia House was there. She was not the speaker at that time. Her name was Eileen Fillercorn, F-I-L-L-E-R-C-O-R-N. Just an awful name, by the way. Fillercorn. Mm. Um, it kind of showed, she was one of those saccharine sweet type people, uh, very fake, very uh, uninformed when it comes to gun control and the, the sort of the issues at stake. There were one or two really, really aggressive Virginia type uh, moms that were there that were not involved in this program. And they were yelling about actual firearms truths, like what a semi-automatic weapon is and things like that. And uh, much to the offense of all of these very, um, what do you call them? I guess they're just middle-class, uninformed, ignorant leftist voters that live in Virginia that that made it go blue for the time that it did before it switched back over to, uh, you know, this is the Ralph Northam time, time period. They don't know anything about what they're talking about. They're incredibly dangerous in that way. So they have a plan to end gun violence and it's getting rid of guns. They want a background check on all gun sales. They want to prohibit people with dangerous histories and they want to repeal the gun industry immunity. If you look at their sort of their talking points that they have on their website, right up front, there are background checks on all guns. Whenever you buy them from a dealer, and when they're privately purchased, then you don't fill that information out because the gun was bought legally. And there are actual laws in place that say if you can't legally own a gun, then you can't legally own a gun. If you're going to break the law, you're going to break the law. There's all kinds of ways to avoid background checks. People have been doing them for a very long time. Usually what they do is they go with, do what's called a straw purchase. This is the so-called uh, girlfriend loophole, I think they've called it, or the boyfriend loophole. This is when a guy will ask a girl to go buy a gun for him because he is a felon or has some other prohibition, like he's uh, prohibited because he had mental illness or he was adjudicated unfit to hold a weapon or some sort of domestic violence conviction, something like that. And when that happens, they send some female who is sympathetic to this man for some reason to go buy a gun illegally because the, the intended owner of the gun is not the person who is buying it. It's literally a question. It's actually a felony to do this um, in and of itself, but it's a, it's lying on the federal form, which is known as 4473. The federal form 4473 is the background check form that you fill out, and then it goes off to the ATF and the NICS to, to go do the checks with the FBI and so on. It comes back whether you it's a go or a no-go for the purchase. It can be done instantaneously. Just seconds is all it takes. What's funny is this is the same form that we we famously hear about Hunter Biden uh, lying on because one of the questions there is, are you a habitual user of illegal drugs? They ask you if you've ever been adjudicated mentally unfit and so on. So background checks for all gun sales. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. This is all, this is all noise. Um, prohibit people with dangerous histories from having guns. That sounds like a real dangerous way to abridge our constitutional protections on, let's say due process, 
right? Like that's really what they're talking about here is they're talking about trying to do pre-crime. This is the red flag laws and then uh, repeal gun industry immunity. The gun industry is like any other industry. If somebody takes a car and runs down people and commits a crime in doing so, there's no reason that anybody should hold the car manufacturer liable for that sort of injury. The gun industry has the same issues. As long as the product work as intended, if it chambers around, fires around, doesn't explode on the person, then there's no reason for the gun manufacturer to be responsible for the use of their product. If their product fails and injures the user, then like any other industry that they would have some sort of culpability for failing to create a safe product, but their product has some inherent risks when the user chooses to use it in a way that's illegal. So their, their whole repeal the gun industry immunity, it's all very false. It's all very, um, you know, it's, it's disingenuous in so many ways. They're talking about holding this. These are, uh, they keep showing these, these students, these very like young people, teenagers who want to quote unquote, do something. They're all really activists because they, they think that they have a cause that they can stand behind, but they don't know anything about what's going on when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about firearms and, and specifically the so-called gun violence, there is no gun violence. There's just people who do violence with guns. I want to get into the CDC statistics because that's the things they love to cite, right? They always want to talk about um, the number of people that die, gun deaths. There's all these wacky numbers. Let's look at real numbers. I think that's what's really important. And if we were going to talk about real numbers, we're going to talk about CDC homicide statistics. Now, this has continued to go up and up and up. In, in recent time, this number was as low as um, like 15,000, 18,000, something like that. It's up to 26,000 homicides a year is what they're claiming for the entire United States for 2022. These are 2022 statistics. That gives us a deaths per 100,000 of 7.8. That's, that's, that's way up um, over the last couple of years. Even five, six years ago under Donald Trump, it was quite a bit lower. Uh, and we can look at that uh, on another day. But uh, let's let's just talk about what they're talking about. So they'll always give you these numbers. 50,000 people die from firearms and so on. And that may be the case. What I want to do right now is I'm going to look at a different little piece here. So what we'll see over, we see firearms, homicides, number of deaths. It's about 21,000. Okay, so most of the homicides, 21 of the 26,000 are done with a firearm. And that makes sense because it's a very efficient method to do that. When you get into suicides and self-inflicted, so the total number of suicides is 48,000. Firearms constitutes 26,000 of those. What we'll see is when the left wants to talk about firearm you know, deaths, they lump in suicide and homicide. So they're going to lump in the 21,000 number with the number here, which is over 26,000. And they're going to get close to 50,000 and they're going to say 48,000 or whatever it is. And then they'll divide it out. However many people that is a day in their mind that are dying. But you can see, um, more people now are going to be using firearms in a, uh, for suicide than they are for a homicide. What's amazing is it used to be, that's actually a lower number of suicides and it's a way higher number of homicides. Those numbers are actually getting imbalanced. It used to be like 13, 12, 13, 14,000. And if you want to know, they break it down here. If you go further into these stats, they'll break it down by the actual specific weapon system used. And it's always like a couple hundred are involved when it talks about the so-called assault weapons, any kind of semi-automatic rifle, bolt action rifle, 
uh, pump-action rifles. They don't constitute a very large number of the gun deaths that are out there, suicide or, or homicide. It's just not efficient. It's not easy to move around. It's pretty difficult to shoot yourself with a rifle. So people use handguns. They're ubiquitous. They're all over this country. People have them all over the place, and they can get them in many ways. And they do. So that's the that's the piece that they're always sort of, they're holding up one thing here. It's a shell game, but they're going to try to get you on this. The issue is, is assault rifles, which constitutes, you know, 1%, you know, just a couple hundred deaths. We're going to come after all these things by citing big, big numbers to scare people. And I think that's fundamentally what goes on with the left. They like to bring up things that, you know, sound really good and they're really showy, but in reality, they don't really have any concrete points. The minute you just do even a shallow analysis, a little bit of a scoop and you get underneath and you literally hit the raw metal underneath, there's just nothing covering this thing. There's no coating. And all of that is to say that their talking points are noise. They're not signal. They are not based in a reality. And I think that the trans rights issue is very much aligned with that. If you are loud enough about it and you are demonizing the opponent, which is what they do, this is how their religious test works. If you do not accept what they are involved in, if you don't believe as they believe, then you're a heretic in this secular religion that they have. And I think it's telling that we're getting this right now in the Easter season. It went through Lent. They were screeching about these things. The trans rights things is very much like gun control and that neither one of them are based in any factual reality. I'm going to pull this thing up here because for some reason, I'm going to show you three little tidbits about the trans rights pieces. Number one, uh, Anheuser-Busch decided to hire a man who wears what my wife calls his woman face, which is to say that he dresses like a woman. He's a homosexual man uh, with some surgeries on his face to look more feminine named Dylan Mulvaney. If you're familiar with him, he's nauseating. Um, but I also pity him because I think he's probably one of the loneliest people in the world. Uh, he's sort of pushed himself into a niche. I, I tweeted about this earlier this week. Essentially, the, he's he's eliminated gay men from being interested in him by dressing up like a woman and feminizing his face so he doesn't look like a man as much anymore. And then no straight men are interested in him because he still has his male appendages. That's a choice. And then Women are not interested in him. I don't think he's interested in them. So the only people that are going to be interested in dating or romantically involved with this poor guy are people who are into the fetish of sort of feminized, you know, I don't know. This used to be a whole thing, like men with, or women with uh, with uh, penises. <laughs> it's just a totally strange, like tiny subset of the population. So this guy thought he was, uh, you know, meeting some need in the world and living his truest self or whatever it is that he's doing, or he's doing a grift. He's an actor that's just trying to get attention. Either way, it ended up uh, getting him a sponsorship deal from Nike and a bunch of these other things. He got Nike and Budweiser and so on. And so I'm going to show just kind of a good example of how far off the rails these people have gotten when it comes to, um, you know, to what they're willing to share. This is a video that came from Jack Daniels promotional team. Now you think about Jack Daniels, you imagine the, the images that exist uh, if you were to close your eyes right now and hear those words, you'd see the black and white logo, the iconic bottle, you know, maybe a barrel, an oak barrel that they use for aging and all these kind of things, right? And it comes out of Tennessee. It's a Tennessee whiskey that is a very like American blue collar, rugged sort of uh, masculine appearance. And this is how they decided to sell it. And if you haven't seen this already, you'll be disgusted, but uh, you can see it on our rumble clip. I'm taking this straight, straight out of uh, Matt Walsh's Twitter feed here. So Bear with me. Um, this is a one-minute video that is just 
it's nauseating. But once again, it comes from Jack Daniels' promotional team. What's going on with this rain? This is not conducive for a pride party. Bitch, we got up in the morning and it just it was just pouring. You can't rain on our parade? No. I'm so glad we're not in drag and heels and wigs right now. Can you imagine in like the weather being so bad and just makeup and hair? Oh, that would be, oh, oh that stretch inside <laughs> But listen, people, we have a party to plan and we need to go get some decorations yeah. and we need to get this going, honey. Mm-hmm. We're expecting people. Let's go to the... T- okay, uh, if, you're, if you're just listening to this, there is an Asian-looking man, a white-looking man, and a black man, and they are all standing holding rainbow umbrellas, twirling them in a, I guess, sort of rainy day. Um, they're dressed in what they believe is probably country attire. One has a bandana around his neck. The other one's wearing sort of a ridiculous hat. Uh, you know, clearly effeminate, homosexual-acting men, and they're doing a Jack Daniels commercial in Lindsburg which is the Lynchburg, Tennessee. So now that we're going to flip over and see them all in drag here, which is also nauseating. Town Square and get some party supplies. I'm ready. Oh my gosh, she looks stunning in every single one oh of my you. Dress to the this yeah. is going to be the fiercest party Lynchburg has ever seen. Mm. Happy Pride. Happy Pride, yes. sisters. Let's do a cocktail. Let's though. do a cocktail. We should make a Jack Five Cranberry. Yes, we should. Oh my yeah. God. Hey. Come on, I got help. All right, that's as much as I can tolerate. That was 40 seconds. Um, <laughs> when you when you look at this stuff and then they show all the Jack Daniels things and they've got their little glasses and they're all branded and stuff, I, I find it nauseating that they're going to say happy pride. I don't know if we talked about it on this show, but it's one of the interesting things I think about that pride being the original sin. Um, and it is literally comes from man trying to rival the existence of God, seeing himself in God's chair and in God's seat, and then acting as though that were the case. That's what the sin of pride is. And it's interesting that that is the monthly celebration that goes on on an annual basis um, for the gay community, for you know whatever this community is of people that it's not very many. You know, the drag community, I got no, I got no ill will against them, but it is interesting that they've chosen that pride, the original sin, is the thing that they are going to embellish. And it does go further along my my thoughts uh, to state that this is a secular religion being pushed. It is a, um, it's a, it's a war against traditional values. And if you think otherwise, you know, I'll just actually, we'll just pull this up on the fly real quick, but I saw this as well. This is something kind of wild that uh, happened this week. Um, just before Easter, this is a, a piece from the Archdiocese for Military Services in the United States. It says Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, many people know Walter Reed Hospital, terminates Catholic pastoral care contract during Holy Wait, move violates First Amendment rights to free exercise of religion. So the the Catholic diocese that is responsible for all military pastoral care is putting this thing out, and they got a cease and desist letter saying that the Franciscan uh, priests and brothers who have provided pastoral care for service members and veterans at Walter Reed Hospital for nearly two decades are no longer able to do so. I think these are all related. It feels related. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in the coincidental timing of it. It's all being released at the same time. It says the Franciscan contract for Catholic pastoral care was terminated on March 31st, 2023 and awarded to a secular defense contracting firm that cannot fulfill the statement of work in the contract. Oh, I didn't even read that part earlier. <laughs> I, I caught the headline, read the first paragraph and was, was appalled. But what they're saying is they've actually uh, taken it away from the church and they're going to give it to some secular group that can't actually do this. Uh, if you think this is not on purpose, I, I don't think you're paying attention. This is that secular religion, and they're pushing one. They're pushing against Catholicism. They're pushing against Christianity as a whole. And, and Catholicism is just one of the biggest brands, versions, 
that they were able to go after. And if you can attack Catholics, then you can attack every version of Protestants. They're much more factionalized and much smaller, right? They're the, the largest single group is going to be American Catholics at 70 million. But the, if you can attack these, this one religion and, and divide it, and they're really trying to stick in these ice picks to, to break it into pieces and say, well, there's this type of Catholic and this type of Catholic. They're going to attack it in the military because that, there's a, a federal mandate there. There's nothing that says, as, we, as we've talked about in the Bill of Rights, that there is a freedom from religion. In fact, the First Amendment says that it cannot establish a religion and that there, there's no way to prohibit free exercise thereof. So free exercise of religion doesn't go away just because you're in the military. It doesn't go away because you work for a federal agency, much to the chagrin of the leftists, I think. Um, and I, I think all that kind of culminates in one of these really bizarre rage pieces where uh, this the swimmer... Riley Gaines, who famously was uh, an NCAA athlete, and she got tied for fourth place with uh, this this man, this male, Leah Thomas, in the uh, NCAA championships, and then she wasn't given the trophy. They said it was because he was a senior and he was a male and the optics. She's gone out pretty aggressively publicly, and good for her. She's kind of transitioned from this tolerance is the right answer, like allow people to be whatever they are. They're not our enemies and so on. And she's realizing that like, if you're a female and men are going to compete against you, like they are your enemy because they are going to eliminate your ability to do the thing that you signed up to do. You cannot compete fairly against biological males. It doesn't happen. So here she is. She's giving a speech at, uh, this was a turning point USA event. She's given a speech at the San Francisco state university and she was attacked and, and held for like three hours last week. They just held on to her, uh, didn't let her out, didn't let her escape. They were you know, telling her that she had to bribe them to get out and all these kind of things. So you've got this female who is basically being cornered by men and then apparently beaten. There's some, um, there's some nasty language in here. So uh, if you need to turn that down, if you're at work or something, if you've got speakers on or little kids around, I'm giving you the warning on it. But uh, I think it's worth seeing just like the sort of bile that's involved in this. So they killed the lights, and then the cops had to walk her out. That's about all I can handle there. My, it seems like my attention span for this stuff is about 40 something seconds. So they're screaming two things, trans rights or human rights. I don't think that's true. Um, I don't even know what trans rights are and neither do you and neither do they, to be fair. Um, they have all the same rights that every other American has. They don't get anything special just because they are confused about what to do with their sexual appendages. But, um, but that doesn't stop them from screaming it. And then if you hear in the background, there's a whole mob that's screaming, Trans women are women. Trans women are women. And that's obviously not true either because you have to modify it. Um, the minute somebody actually told me something I thought was really interesting. I think it's a Ben Shapiro quote now that I'm, I'm reflecting on it. He says, the minute you modify the word justice with an adjective, then you know that you are now taking away from it. In this case, racial justice, social justice, 
um, you know, gender justice or whatever other uh, climate justice, all these sort of crazy ideas that have come up on the left. And in the same way, I think the minute you start modifying, you know, subsets of women based on, on made up words, uh, that, you know, somebody said, well, what's the difference between saying trans women and saying tall women, you're talking about a subset of women. It's like, no, because one of them is a made up word. One of them is not real. And one of them is a subjective, like we can, we can argue, like, what are the criteria for a tall woman? Is it a woman that's over five, seven, five, eight, that's pretty tall, you know, as far as uh, the, the statistical distribution of the population, but what constitutes a trans woman? Is it someone who thinks that they're a woman? Is it someone that lops off their, their genitals? Uh, is it someone that's been on hormones for a while? Like there's all these different ridiculous categories and none of them make any sense. And none of them lead to what is, you know, the Matt Walsh definition of what is a woman, which is so easy. It's just an adult human female. So it, there's a lot of strange, uh, percolations about this, but once again, this is all, this is all noise. And what is the signal that it's distracting from? I think it's two things. I think one of them is this sort of really, really ugly undercurrent that keeps bubbling through the American culture. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about a really, you know, nasty pending stock market crash. You know, we're seeing that our our buying power of our dollar is less and less. In fact, my, my family and I got a pretty good glimpse into this. I flew to New Mexico to get fast food with my buddy so that we could, you know, finish moving a truck and drive across the country. And when we're doing that, it was almost $50 for two grown males to sit down and have like a, you know, a burger and fries at a fast food place. It wasn't even that great. I don't want to say what it was because I, I don't want to impugn their honor, but you know, you're seeing that these prices are creeping up and up and up. And when we, when you have fast food, as my wife always says, it's not that fast and it's not that cheap anymore. Uh, you might as well pay for a full meal. In fact, you can pay for a full meal at a sit down restaurant at like a Brinker's international chain pretty easily and pay the same price that you would if you went to like a McDonald's somewhere. So, uh, you know, for those of you that are healthy and are not, uh, under the gun with, with young children and having to pull some kind of calories, I mean, first of all, they're trash calories. There's no question about that. But, uh, the sad thing is, is that it's really expensive. It used to be that you were making a trade-off. The trade-off was, is that you were buying cheap, but you were buying cheap because it was fast, you know? And so that's what you did. Now you're, it's not even that fast because people are lazy. It seems like they don't work very well for all the automation and capabilities we have in this country to generate these things for all the many number of years they've had to study, you know, exactly how many burgers are probably sold during any given hour and all the sort of statistical, um, you know, data sets that they have from these, these large chains are still, it doesn't move that quickly. And then, you know, it's not that cheap. I don't know what the trade-off is. It's not good. Um, I think they're distracting from this like sort of failure of our dollar to, to, to maintain its value. You look at housing prices and everything else, even though the interest rates are going up, they're just, they didn't jack it up high enough to do the thing that happened in the eighties when I was a kid. And I remember like my parents' first house was 13 or 14% interest rate. And you know, that was pretty standard. They were psyched to get it. Um, that's not what's going on right now. So we're not going to regain the power of that. And in the meantime, we're losing all this sort of prestige and, and capabilities on the world stage, whether it be because you know, China is stepping into the gap or, you know, there's this sort of unrest that's going on and the money that we're all sending to Ukraine. Those are all the real signal and the noise is what we're being distracted by domestically. So I want people to just kind of keep their eye on the goal. Those are not the things that I'm going to be talking about today, geopolitics, but I do think that is what's being distracted from. And we're giving these, these false sort of laser pointer on the ground. Um, and they're, they're hoping the American people's attention is like a cat you know, tracking down the red dot on the carpet. So it's attacking each one of these dots as it moves around, but none of them have to do with what the real signal is. The signal is coming from the laser pen and that's being held by someone who's distracting.
So um, I just that's my advice to people is generally if you're seeing this stuff and it seems very inflammatory and it feels like it's really offensive, is that the thing that they are trying to you know, keep your attention away from, or is that the thing they want your attention on so that you're not paying attention to what's really going on? So we're going to talk a little bit about what's really going on on one of these pieces here. Um, well, let's do one more quick video. This is actually, I think this is the, the people that are pulling the strings back there. This is uh, this comes off uh, Ian Miles Chong's uh, Twitter feed. I just, these are the easiest places for me to find some of these videos without digging deep into it and catching short clips. This is the actual woman who was involved in the, the Bud Light marketing strategy. We talked to you know, briefly about Dylan Mulvaney and this, this guy, like I said, he's feminized his face. He was seen, you know, on Drew Barrymore's TV show and she's kneeling in front of him in this sort of ridiculous uh, posture and sort of uh, literally kneeling to the secular religion of uh, pride and, and, and transgenderism and all this other nonsense. Uh, this is the kind of the face of who's driving it on the back end. You always wonder like, who are the marketing geniuses that took Bud Light, an American, you know, institution, the, the Anheuser-Busch brand, the light version of it. And they brought us those, those great commercials that were, you know, real men of genius talking about the guy who created the bowling ball, you know, return and and other funny things that are just, you know, American innovations in a, in a lighthearted way. Uh, and then saying, you know, when you've done a good job at work, you can have a Bud Light. That, that, that is a thing. That was the brand of Bud Light. And then you got this lady and man, I could have watched this with no sound and just watched her eyes and known that this was too much. But I think it's worth hearing the way they talk and listen to the um, the assurances of whoever it is that's interviewing her because that's kind of wild too. I'm a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. I had a really clear job to do when yeah. I took over Bud Light. And it was, this brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. And if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. So I had this super clear mandate. It's like we mm-hmm. need to evolve and elevate this incredibly iconic brand. And my, what I brought to that was a belief in, okay, what is, what, do, what does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and different and appeals to women and to men. Mm-hmm. And representation is at sort of the heart of evolution. You've got to see people who reflect you in the work. And we had this hangover. I mean, Bud Light had been kind of a brand of fratty, kind of out of touch humor. And it was really important (laughs) that we had another approach. Right. So that was really important to her. Um, I never saw Bud Light as a fratty brand. I thought it was always cheap. uh, And it was always a thing that people that were working class drank, which is who they marketed to. And I remember 40 years of that because at a very young age, I can remember Bud Light being a thing. It's not a thing that I go looking for. But if you were going to ask me what the brand stood for, uh, I'm a consumer of media in the same way that all of you are. And I don't think that frat, frat parties was the thing anybody would think of necessarily. I worked at a, uh, actually, I didn't think about this before, but I ran a bar in Kansas for a short period of time in uh, Leesburg, Kansas. No, not Leesburg, Lewisburg, Kansas. Uh, it's outside of Kansas City, 45 minutes out. It was in this very small town. It had two stoplights, and there were two restaurants, and there were two bars. Uh, they were not the same. We were the only restaurant and bar. And the place that I ran, uh, our competition was uh, the VFW post, if that tells you anything. It was a very small little place. And we would do pretty decent business, and most of our business was Bud Light. And the people that came in were hardworking blue-collar types that worked in agriculture. Um, you know, they wore cowboy boots when they came in because they they worked in fields, and that was a, an appropriate sort of 
uh, thing. They, they worked in, uh, moving, you know, cattle around. They moved, they worked in, um, um, you know, riding sometimes like there, it was a legitimate cowboy little town. It was really small too. I mean, it was a couple hundred people that lived there and people would come in from the city to come and, and have, cause the food was good, but we did a ton of Bud Light. That was, if you ran out of Bud Light, I mean, it was game over on a Saturday night for us. Like we would have to shut the bar down. So we never did. I mean, I bought six or eight kegs a week easily, and this was not a big place. So that's, that's the Bud Light brand. And then there's this woman who's got rainbow pictures behind her. I, I'm sure, I don't know if she's showing off that she's inclusive, but when you start thinking about inclusivity and you got, how are you going to connect to men and women? And your answer is to, to put somebody as your face who is neither a, you know, a woman and doesn't look anything like a man anymore. That's the weirdest decision you could have. I think it's a terrible decision, but that is the, uh, the marketing geniuses in there. She's, I think they said she's Harvard educated. She's uh, obviously a, a Ivy league type and high performing in some ways. She, you, I, like I said, you could watch that video with the, with the sound off and you can literally see the kind of kooky craziness in the eyes that she believes it. And just like those screaming about the trans rights or women's rights or whatever the heck it is, trans rights or human rights and trans women are real women. All those people are screaming with what I think is a religious fervor. It sounds like a, it sounds like a revival, but of something evil, it sounds like a, a masquerade of religious fervor. And so you're anyone who disagrees with them is a heretic. And in the same way that they would shout down somebody you know, saying heretical things in the same way you see the, uh, the, the, uh, radical, like Islamic community attacking people and shooting people at Charlie Hebdo. They have that same sort of unhinged violence, I think, because of the way that they believe that this, this thing they have, which is obviously untrue, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be true. It's a belief system and that's what they're going to fight with. So it's worth noting that that is the thing that we are up against. And it leads to something like an older evil. And that is Coin Intel Pro. That's what we're going to talk about. Coin Intel Pro 2.0. There's two pieces of it. First, I want to give the historical background. Then we're going to go into this little Dan Bongino clip here. Um, I don't think a lot of people know what Coin Intel Pro is. I've heard it thrown around in, in uh, Twitter Spaces. I've heard it discussed on um, you know sort of as throwaway lines. I've had people then respond to me and say, "Is this letter you know from the, it's type a typewritten letter, which I'll bring up in just a moment? But is this letter legitimate and real?" fact, let me do that right here. Let me, let me bring this up. So this is a letter that was written in 1964 by an unknown member of the FBI. There's some speculation about who we can talk about that in a second. I'm going to just read it. And I want you to know that this was part of a package that came in with some tapes to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, on the eve of him receiving the, uh, the Nobel peace prize. And it just says this King all caps and underlined. I'm going to read it. So this is on a, like an old yellowed piece of paper and it's typed up from a typewriter. You can tell in view of your low and abnormal personal behavior, I will not dignify your name with either a Mr. Or a Reverend or a doctor. And your last name calls to mind only the type of King, such as King Henry the eighth and his countless acts of adultery and immoral conduct lower than that of a beast. This is a nasty run on sentence. King look into your heart. You know that you are a complete fraud and a great liability to all of us Negroes. White people here in this country have enough frauds of their own, but I am sure they don't have one at this time that is anywhere near your equal. You are no clergyman, and you know it. I repeat, you are a colossal fraud and an evil, vicious one at that. You could not believe in God and act as you do. Clearly, you don't believe in any personal moral principles. 
new paragraph. King, like all frauds, your end is approaching. This is a threat, by the way. So if you're not familiar with this, this letter, these are the words of it. And this, like I said, very threatening. You could have been our greatest leader. You, even at an early age, turned out to be not a leader, but a dissolute, abnormal, moral imbecile. We will now have to depend on our older leaders like Watkins, a man of character, and thank God we have others like him. But you are done. Your honorary degrees, your Nobel Prize, what a grim farce, and other awards will not save you. King, I repeat, you are done. No person can overcome facts, not even a fraud like yourself. Lend your sexually psychotic ear to the enclosure. So there was a, there were tapes that were enclosed with this package. You will find yourself... And in all your dirt, filth, evil, and moronic talk exposed on the record for all time, I repeat, no person can argue successfully against the facts. You are finished. You will find on the record for all, uh, you will find on the record for all time, your filthy, dirty, evil companions, male and female, giving expression with you to your hideous abnormalities and some of them to pretend to be ministers of the gospel. This is kind of difficult to read because some of it's kind of stilted language. Satan could not do more. What incredible evilness. It is all there on the record. Your sexual orgies. Listen to yourself, you filthy, abnormal animal. You are on the record. You have been on the record. All of your adulterous acts, your sexual orgies extending far into the past. This one is but a tiny sample. You will understand this. Yes, from your various evil... Uh, playmat, uh, what is this playmates? I guess they had a, there's a, uh, <laughs> I'm not used to reading type of it. They actually crossed out a letter. So they, uh, they X'd over it. It just shows up as a blank, uh, on the East coast to, and there's a redaction on here. So we don't see what that is. And others on the West coast and outside of the country, you are on the record King. You are done. Uh, coming to the end here, the American public, the church organizations that have been helping Protestant, Catholic, and Jews will know you for what you are, an evil, abnormal beast. So will others who have backed you. You are done. There is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do it. This exact number has been selected for a very specific reason. It has definite practical significance. You are done. There is but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is barred, bared rather, to the nation. Okay, that's pretty heavy stuff. So what is that all about? That was written by somebody in the FBI sent over with FBI surveillance tapes that were illegally obtained under either Title Three or something to that effect, but they were not obtained uh, lawfully. And they were doing a wiretap on King and sent over some stuff. Now, um, Coretta Scott King mentioned that the stuff that came over was gobbledygook. It was his mumbles. It's actually all in the National Archives, and it's supposed to be released in 2027. They've unsuccessfully tried to release it a few times to either discredit the uh, the civil rights movement and, and people that were in Martin Luther King's camp. Uh, but at the end of the day, these were illegally and illicitly obtained FBI recordings, and then they were sent over as a threat. Now there's different interpretations, but basically it sounds like the only thing left for you to do is to commit suicide. This is an attempt to shame him into suicide by, you know, backing him into a corner with no other options. This is the federal government in 1964 doing this. And 
It's so interesting that members of the political left are so quick to support this mechanism of big government that historically went after members of the left. It's why I find people like Trevor Aronson so interesting, because he gets it. He knows, and he hasn't forgotten that the FBI is still doing evil things. They've just expanded now, and they're willing to go after the political right as well. There's still members of the left that they will go after. So I want to dig into the sort of the nature of what is Pro. What was it? We're going to the Wikipedia, because we might as well go to a leftist source of anything else. And... I'll give you some of the background on it because they used to know that the enemy was this big government here. So this is the Wikipedia page. You can access it yourself. If you just type in coin spelled out at C O I N tell T E L P R O coin Intel pro, which is short for counterintelligence program. These, uh, supposedly kicked off in 1956 going through 1971. And it's described right here. Like I said, on a leftist website, this is not right and leaning sources was a series of covert and illegal projects conducted in the United States by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, my old home, aimed at surveilling, infiltrating, discrediting, and disrupting domestic American political organizations. I want to say that one more time. It was aimed at surveilling, infiltrating, discrediting, and disrupting American domestic political organizations. That should trouble you because what have we got going on right now? I can tell you that surveilling is still going on and some of it is politically motivated at this point. Discrediting is another question. I don't know if they're doing it in that same way, but then what would you call the Twitter files and things where social media was labeling things mis and disinformation? I think that's what that looks like. And disrupting disruptions are actually a marketable. It's a, it's a statistical accomplishment that the FBI claims for itself. It's what it reports to Congress when it says how well they're doing in the counterterrorism space, specifically in the domestic counterterrorism space. It talks about disruptions and dismantlements. These are, these are, um, you know, these are badges that they, they claim for themselves in order to, to get, uh, senior executives bonuses. And it's how you keep score in the same way that uh, you'd hear about sort of um, stats-based policing being done. You know, you have X number of traffic tickets, you have X number of arrests, you have X numbers of prosecutions, man hours given, all these things. This is one of the things they keep track of. Because a lot of times what you don't do is arrest terrorist subjects, particularly domestic terrorist subjects, because there's no actual crime being done. So they want to disrupt whatever the thing is. We're seeing a ton of this stuff in the prosecutions of January 6th. Disruptions dismantlements. It says FBI records show that coin Intel Pro recesses, uh, resources, rather targeted groups and individuals. The FBI deemed subversive, including feminist organizations. Well, that sounds like a right weaning right wing thing, right? Of course not. The American communist party or the communist party, USA, uh, anti Vietnam war organizers, activists, civil rights, black power movement, nation of Islam, black Panthers, uh, MLK, and then environmentalist and animal right organizations, the American Indian movement. There was actually some pretty good shootouts and some aggressive arrest operations that were conducted regarding American Indians. This is going to be Native Americans now, but this is the way it was described then. Chicano and Mexican-American groups like the Brown Berets and the United Farm Workers. So that's uh, Cesar Chavez. And then the independence movements of the Puerto Ricans and... Um, and then they also went off after white supremacist groups, because why not? Let's just get everybody, the Ku Klux Klan, and then the far right group, the National States Rights Party. 
I'm not familiar with the National States Rights Party. We might have to dig into that at some point in the future. Left and right, anything that, that was basically subversive to the United States government's uh, you know, totality of control in the U.S. So that's what Coin Intel Pro was. You hear it bandied around a lot. It was a limited period of time. It was basically the late 50s and the early 70s with all the 60s in between. That's the time when this country was most rowdy with the Vietnam War protests, with the anti-war protests, with the civil rights movements going on. You figure those things were passed in, what, 65 and 68 so you're talking about the time, the last time the United States was as rowdy as it is today. I think things settled down in the, in the late 70s. In the 80s, we started focusing on more like, you know, kind of weird foreign policies. There were things going on, but you didn't have any of the unrest and any of the kind of wild, um, the wild activist groups and the passionate sort of secular religions that were going on that were going on during that time, 50s, 60s, 70s. And now we're back to it. We're back to it on the left and the right simply wants to see sort of the country that many of us grew up in return. And that doesn't seem like that's very easy to happen. And rather than the FBI acting the way that it historically has, which is to maintain the status quo right now, it is actively pushing hard to maintain the left, this progressive movement towards leftism. That's very strange. And how did that happen? We've talked about it at length on my podcast. I've talked about it on other people's shows, but I believe it happened as a sort of wrong lessons learned from September 11th and a capture of the law enforcement entity known as the FBI and the, you know, the transformation. There's maybe it has to do with being trans. It is a trans law enforcement agency that has now become a intelligence agency primarily. It is morphed in its primary function, but it still has all the abilities Man, I didn't realize that this was going to be so, such an easy segue here, but it has all of the abilities uh, of the uh, of the law enforcement entity that it was, except it's now identifying in a new way. It's a Dylan Mulvaney. The FBI is uh, is a trans it's a trans law enforcement agency, or maybe I guess it'd be known as a trans intelligence agency because it kept all of its law enforcement parts. I'm going to be talking about this a whole lot more. This is going to be something fun. You heard it here first. I discovered it while talking to you, and I will be sharing it with it in weird national ways. We'll get some of these uh, Fox hosts to laugh because there's nothing funnier than that. All right. Um, it's, it's truly troubling stuff. This is not something that's okay. And here's where it comes into when it comes to the 2.0 version. Okay. Uh, so there's my buddy, Dan. He's uh, going to talk to a woman. This is a three-minute interview. I don't think I'm going to watch all of it, but we are going to put some of it up there. And uh, let's let's do that for just a second and listen to what he has to say. They're talking about the Transportation uh, Security Administration. We're talking about the federal air marshals. And then I'll give you commentary on that. But let's listen to what his interview looks like. Welcome back. The police state I've been warning you about, folks, is even worse than I thought. Federal air marshals are sounding the alarm, claiming the Biden administration is forcing them to spy on and track Americans for political reasons, including people involved with January 6th as domestic terrorists. Even worse... Marshals may be coordinating with China. Uh, joining now, joining me now is the Air Marshal National Council Executive Director Sonia Labasco. Sonia, thanks for your time. I spoke to you on my radio show this week, and I have to tell you, uh, you really were shocking. Some of the information you got out there. Are air marshals being used to spy on Americans for political reasons? Yes, they are, Dan. It's unfortunate that we have to report that, but we've been trying to get the agency to stop this for the last two years since January the 11th, 2021. This has been occurring, and we, we just need some help from the American people to say this is wrong and unconstitutional, and it needs to stop. 
I mean, that's a sh shocking thing to hear. Now, uh, the reason you and I met, how we met, is a source fed this information to me. Uh, I did not get this from you. We, we met later. So this is the second confirmation I'm getting about this story. Spying for political reasons. That, that's an intimate space on a plane right there. I mean, you can look over it with somebody's texting, listen to their conversations. This is a really big deal. Yes, it is. It is, Dan. Uh, normally, like we talked about earlier, you need a search warrant to get that information. But this isn't just happening in the aircraft. I want to make that clear. This is happening in, in other places beyond the aircraft where air marshals are being ordered to follow folks that either uh, just flew to the national capital reason, you, region. You didn't have to go to the rally. You didn't have to go anywhere. You could have just flown into D.C. and then you're potentially on this list. All right. Um, minute, minute and a half is good enough on this. So let's talk about surveillance, what we call Pfizer, physical surveillance. Uh, Pfizer is abbreviated F-I-S-U-R. You'll see it as a technique that is being used by law enforcement. Uh, the Bureau does its own version because they have to abbreviate everything. But uh, most law enforcement entities are going to be familiar with physical surveillance. And that's to be contrasted with signal surveillance, which is picking up phones or radio or microwave or your Wi-Fi or anything like that. We're talking about eyes on done by human beings. Physical surveillance is an art. And it is one of those things that I got, I think, very good at doing because you always can tell you're not good at it is when people notice you're doing it. Um, and then the other problem is, is you have to overcome the human nature of watching someone and not acting in a weird way, not be sneaky. One of the, the overwhelming things you have to teach a new surveillance agent is don't be weird. Don't do weird things. When you're walking and you're looking at somebody if you were walking normally and you didn't do anything nefarious, you might make eye contact with strangers and then hold it for a half second and move on. That's normal. When you are a new surveillance agent, the last thing you want to do is make eye contact with your subject. So people do all kinds of strange things to avoid that. And uh, it becomes very obvious. Uh, the air marshals do surveillance on the planes. Like their primary job is physical security, right? Their job is to make sure that the cockpit can be reinforced. If you're watching on the Rumble channel, you saw some of the training background. They had B-roll in the background showing that their law enforcement qual, their, their pistol qual is actually done from a seat in a mock airline scenario. They actually shoot from a sitting position and then they stand up and do it. Everything that the federal air marshals do is geared towards aircraft safety. It's fantastic. They're a great organization. They're great shooters. They're very, very good at what they do. And in the plane, they own the space. And having worked with two former federal air marshals on my physical surveillance team that did it for the Bureau, uh, these guys are studs. They're great shooters. They're good friends. They, they're they travelers, so they're they're good people to hang around with, uh, you know, good good sort of characters, and, and uh, you know, they're they're happy to have the job that they had. So I always enjoy those guys. Like, I think they're good dudes. And then I went and worked at the uh, – we did a, like a – a seminar with the federal air marshals out of their Washington field office, which is out near Dulles. And they're great. They were good, solid human beings. And one of the things that my team was working on was a partnership to kind of work on the physical surveillance end, because not only do they get put on flights for possible, you know, um, overseas international terrorists, that's, that's what they're really usually doing. That was what the surveillance unit was set up to do. It sounds like they're now getting tasked with domestic terrorism, just like everybody else. That's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise, but it is really dangerous. And when she says they're not just following on the aircraft, it means they're following you through the airport because all of that is their space. They can walk you up to get on the plane, follow you out, and then hand you off to another surveillance team. 
And so what we worked on with the Bureau was talking about, hey, what are the easiest ways for us to pick up a subject? Or maybe we refer a subject to you because they're going to fly from one city to another and then handing off to an FBI surveillance team once they get to the ground. Can you track them off the plane? It's difficult to do the transition. A lot, most people lose their surveillance subjects during transition. And that means going from mobile to static. Um, they arrive somewhere and they go into a restaurant and they sit down. It's hard sometimes to do that transition because you're in a vehicle. You can't just the vehicle the same way that your subject can. You can't park next to them, so on and so forth. You may not have an extra person in the car to drop off. That becomes difficult. Um, if you are trying to do um, different modes of, of travel, you're in a vehicle and you need to get on a train, you know, can you park close enough to keep an eye on the person parking? Maybe not. Can you, can you get off? If, what if they took a cab and they just jump out and you're driving? So I've actually done things where we drove to a metro station. I left a vehicle. I left the keys and I, I had to have one of my guys come in and babysit my car. So now you have one guy holding two vehicles. Now he's out of the fight too, but you're at least on the train with them. So this mixed mode, this transition period is very difficult. And specifically when they change locations, um, and you didn't know they were going to get on a plane, maybe let's say they went to an airport, you can track them to the airport. It's really, really helpful to have someone who's a dedicated resource that jumps on planes for a living and flies out and, you know, they can follow it and hand it off to a domestic team and then they can fly back. That's a big deal. So the federal air marshals have a very strong role to play in the domestic or in the counterterrorism role, uh, and the counterterrorism game. But if they're being used domestically, this is what they're going to be used She's talking about tracking people that just showed up in the capital region on January 6th. Like I'm one of those people. I was in the capital region on January 6th. I actually lived in the capital region too, but anybody that, that, that flew into that area for, for unrelated activities, you know, that's a real troubling uh, issue. So we should be very concerned about them using these types of resources and putting them into a place where they can do this stuff. Um, I, I don't, we're going to get more information about this as it comes out. And uh, I may even try to get Sonia on, uh, on our show because she may be able to talk to me for long form. We can get into the details of some of this stuff. But it is a significant problem to think about. You are not safe on an aircraft to just be looking at your phone and have, might have somebody over your shoulder. They call it social engineering is the technique. That's when they're sitting close by and they can look over and glance over and see. And most people are not secretive about their phones, about their, you know, the laptops they're working on, if they're, they're working on something that should otherwise be their business. And that the government would have to go get a search warrant to access their electronics is what Dan was talking about. Could be a real big issue. You lose that reasonable expectation of privacy from the people around you, but you don't expect it to be federal agents. So those are things to consider. Um, yeah, let's let's transition over to my last little topic here. I promised you a uh, an inside scoop and I will deliver. We're going to talk about what what happened in Boston with the FBI's operation here. So I'm going to give you a quick little read. This is from, uh, this is where I actually first saw the story. This is how it was broken to me. WCVB, it's an ABC affiliate, Channel 5, 5 Investigates. It says, airline pilot mistakenly detained by federal agents during training exercise in Boston Hotel. Uh, this was first updated on the 6th. I think it may have broken on, broke on the 5th. So it says, Boston Mayor uh, Michelle Wu is calling for answers. After staying at a Boston hotel or after a man staying at a Boston hotel was detained during a military training exercise on Tuesday night of last week um, at the Revere Hotel, which apparently is a very fancy hotel. The man was an airline pilot. He was detained during a training exercise involving federal agents. Five investigates has learned. Sources say the Delta Airlines employee was handcuffed and interrogated for approximately 30 minutes until the agents realized their mistake. Uh, the FBI spokesperson confirmed that a hotel guest was quote unquote mistakenly detained during the exercise 
pilot was in a 15th floor room it happened about 10 o'clock at night. And, uh, the hotel is on Stewart street in Boston. The FBI spokesperson, Kristen Satera from the Boston division of the FBI said that the, uh, Boston field office and U S department of defense were cooperating in a training exercise. The army, uh, referred everything back to, to the special operations command. The FBI basically said, yes, we did this thing. So what happened here? All right. So here's the deal. For years, the Department of Defense Special Mission Unit, a tier one counterterrorism force, which I'm not going to name out of respect for them, because I don't think they screwed this up, has been involved in what's called urban evasion training, uh, or at least that's my way that I would describe it. It's a form of the SEER school extensions and the advanced SEER. This is uh, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape tactics that the DOD teaches. Some of these techniques are classified, and what they basically do is they move uh, around in an urban environment. They are captured by training forces, and then they are interrogated, and, and they have to use approved techniques in order to resist interrogation uh, for as long as required for whatever the mission uh, parameters are of these particular training units. So DOD does this all the time. They contract with law enforcement because we're really good, what they call op for operational force, which is to say that we have some training, we can hunt things, we would be the people, you know, our, our parallel structures would be the people that might be hunting them in other countries, both friendly and not friendly. And so sending in these guys to be able to experience, you know, actual government agents who actually do that sort of thing for a living, although we obviously don't interrogate the same way that other um, countries may, is a realistic version of training. This goes on in multiple different cities. Boston is one of them. I know it happens in Phoenix as well. It doesn't make a difference. It's not, there's nothing wrong with this because what you have are willing participants, a coordinated event, and then you have, you know, people who have federal authorities to do so. And like I said, the willing participant thing makes it legit because it's under DOD training. I went through SEER school uh, in Spokane, Washington. They also execute them in the city of Spokane where they, you know, execute these trainings where they'll release people in an orange jumpsuit and tell them to go do urban survival and People know that are in the area that this is just a thing that happens and just the DOD will roll them up and it's not a kidnapping and, you know, they're just doing their thing. This is part of the training. It's all part of the military readiness to make our warfighters able to handle um, some of the really, really disgusting things that can happen to them overseas. So that's good. Uh, what happened in Boston was a brand new agent, a month out of the academy, female agent, because diversity is our strength, was one of the two agents that got the wrong door, the wrong room number on the 15th floor of this hotel. The people that they were trying to grab would have been a military operator from this tier one unit that would have been doing evasion, would have been picked up by the bureau and then interrogated. And instead what they did is they knocked on the door of a Delta airlines pilot who happened to be a United States air force veteran. And therefore he was a former Sear school graduate, someone who has gone through this type of thing before, not the same way, and obviously didn't expect it on this night, but was being interrogated using some of the techniques that are DOD approved for training, but they are not approved under federal law and certainly not for someone who there's no probable cause to arrest or detain. Um, one of the things that I've heard, I've learned from friends of mine that worked in that office that used to participate in these uh, operations is that they would take somebody, handcuff them, throw them in a shower, put the water on them, you know, push them around inside a shower, 
because it's awkward and it's, you know, it's unusual. So you're in your clothes getting soaked. Apparently that happened to this pilot. And the reason that we know about it is because there's an ongoing feud between the Boston police department and the FBI. The Boston police department does not care for the FBI, which means they're probably buddies of mine. Uh, even though it's a leftist city, the Boston police department and therefore the mayor in this case, whose name is uh, Michelle Wu were the ones who tipped off the press that the FBI made this mistake. And from what I'm told, there are members of uh, the Delta Airlines senior executive staff that are very, very upset about how this went down because it cost them financial uh, difficulties. They they lost a pilot for the next day because this guy was trying to sort this thing out while they were trying to figure out who it was. And all this came because there was a basic screw up on the the operational end of executing this uh, rendition is what you would call it when you grab somebody and then you interrogate them. Uh, the real screw up here is that the Bureau didn't positively ID the subject they were going into. Now, apparently the guy is, like I said, former Air Force, had a crew cut, looked the part, and then they went after him. I, I doubt he really looked the full part of some of our uh, tier one operators, but so be it. Maybe, maybe he's a super stud. Here's the issue though. When you don't positively ID your subject, then you do everything else wrong because you were doing it on the wrong person. When you were doing surveillance, that is the Bible. That is the most important commandment, I will say, is positively ID your subject because otherwise you're following the wrong guy. You got the wrong car. You're not getting good information. Everything you do from there on out is wrong because it's not a PID, what they call uh, positive identification. They didn't get this done because they had the wrong room number. So um, that doesn't mean this technique is bad. Here's what, here's the sad thing. What they'll do is they'll just shut it all down. They will say, well, this is a liability, so we can no longer help people like uh, this, this special mission unit do this thing, which is a valuable training, uh, which is the wrong answer, unfortunately. I've participated in similar trainings. There's a way to do it correctly, the way that we did it. Even when I was, an, I was really fresh out of the academy, like again, months, just like this female agent was. I didn't have a lot of experience. What we knew was, is we had a picture of our, our subject. We, we knew where to find them. And then we picked them up by watching. We confirmed. And when I was doing the operation, we were doing this in maybe 20, probably 2017, working with um, one of our five eyes partners, one of the, uh, the five intelligence services that we work really closely with. And so they sent over one of their trainees. I don't want to get too specific about it just because I don't want to out any of this stuff, but they sent over, uh, it's not classified as far as I can tell, but, um, but it has some sensitivity. So they sent over one of their trainees, a bunch of them, they would send them loose in DC. They would go around and conduct meets and they would have some mission set. And then we would basically ID who they were. And then we would do a, uh, a arrest in public or a detention. We would transport them to our field office and then they would get involved in a, a very um, polite and professional interrogation the way that we would anybody else. So we would treat them according to our normal arrest protocols. This is unlike what DOD does. DOD has obviously much more aggressive protocols but the goal was is they would come and do it in our country as sort of a friendly nation um interrogation and then they would go to a more deniable country that'd be a little bit more rough and then they would have a second thing so we were the first check off to make sure that they could handle uh friendly host nation then they would go to a little bit more of a deniable area um in the case that uh, my buddies and i did this we did a very public arrest very discreetly in the four seasons in uh, in washington dc we used three agents. I was a approach, um, caught this, uh, this female, uh, operative for this, like I said, other foreign intelligence agency 
talked to her very brief, gave her an opportunity to, to, to surrender quietly and to, to get uh, taken into cuffs. I was like, we're not going to put cuffs on right here, but if you try to run, we will take you down and uh, you're going to just walk next to my two buddies and we're going to put you in the back of a car. And then, um, and we did, and we transported her and it was, nobody was the wiser, you know, it was uh, three guys walking out with a, with a young lady into a vehicle that was waiting. And then we rolled out and we went to the field office and she had the interrogation as part of the training. The key is you positively identify your subject. So there is value to doing these types of trainings, whether it be with foreign intelligence services, whether it be with our counterterrorism units, our special mission units that have to go and do things in deniable places where they have to go do America's dirty work, or um, they have to go and they have to infiltrate and, and act in a more covert role than a traditional military, you know, uniformed service member. They're really, really important and they're very valuable. And Boston may have just screwed it up for everybody, but that's what the FBI does. They do things. Oftentimes it's not evil, which so many of you have been responding to things on Twitter and on true social acting like, oh, there's some sort of uh, nefarious evil. That's not what's going on here. It's incompetence. And oftentimes that's what it is in the same way that what we saw was, you know, going after Dr. King was evil. What they did there, the way they went about it was incompetence, right? They left a paper trail and they did this sort of other things. That's the nature of this beast. It's incompetence and evil, and they mix together, and they could be interchangeable. That was some of the insight that I got from uh, Garrett O'Boyle, who, uh, my buddy who flew down here and helped me move. That was one of the things that I walked away with thinking about, that there is so much evil and so much incompetence at the same time, and they overlap, but they, are, they sometimes are mutually exclusive. Uh, and then the last thing I learned, which I, once you move into a law enforcement uh, role and you start looking at the world that way, he wrote a w- wonderful substack, and if you want to go out and um, support him and read some of his great writing. He puts some stuff out every Friday. He had a piece for Easter Sunday for, well, sorry, for Good Friday, rather, uh, entitled Judas Iscariot was a CHS, a confidential human force, source. And there's no chance that the FBI would not have recruited one of the disciples uh, should Jesus have been walking around on the earth today. That is what they do. And so Anybody is a potential informant, I suppose, but um, it takes a certain moral character to go and sell out your friends. That is the that is the legacy of Judas Iscariot, is the legacy of people that are reporting to the feds in some ways, which is a shame because human sources are a really useful way to take down bad guys. It turns out, though, when the, the people they're trying to take down are not bad guys, when the bad guys are the ones who are actually running the sources, that's what the mafia looks like. Uh, and that is our country at this point. We are the ones who are dealing with this sort of chaotic and... Um, and unhinged federal law enforcement. And the experience in Boston is just a tiny snippet of it, but it's one that I think is worthwhile. And unfortunately, once again, it's another example of nobody's going to get the full story because we don't have a transparent organization doing it. This is that trans uh, intelligence agency operation. They are still pretending like they are an intel unit, even though they should be a law enforcement agency that just says, yeah, we screwed up. We arrest the wrong guy. And probably going to get sued for it. And we're going to have to pay him a bunch of money for unlawful detainment and deprivation of civil rights and color of law violations and so on. But the only people that actually would go after them is the DOJ. And if you think the DOJ is prosecuting the FBI, I think you're sorely mistaken today too. The only upside is this Delta CEO apparently is very close to the white house and was furious. So uh, don't let this thing drop. I would say, don't let this fall off. We should make sure that we keep it in the forefront because it is a real screw up and it is a real problem in many ways. All right, that's good enough for today. I will join you again on Wednesday. Folks, you've been listening to the Kyle Serafin Show. If you like what you have to hear, if you like hearing inside baseball from what's going on and from the FBI sources that we can tap, go ahead and subscribe to our show. We really appreciate that. If you want to share it with your friends, if you want to have somebody else that would hear it, 
do that as well. You can pass it around. We are both on Rumble for the video if you're seeing that. If you haven't seen the Rumble show, please go check it out. You can just search Kyle Seraphin Show. You'll find me right up there. And, uh, and if you are listening on audio, you can find us anywhere that you listen to audio podcasts on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, uh, on a dozen others. You can use your Alexa and say, Alexa, play the Kyle Seraphin Show, and it will fire right up. We are in uh, TuneIn and some of the other little pieces for that. So on uh, Google Podcast and more. Uh, if you like what you hear, please check out our show links. You can click through and give us a five-star review on Apple. I didn't pull one up. Shame on me. Let me see if I can do that real quick because that's worth doing. We had a couple of new ones come in. Um, let me run down here and read you a five-star review. Let's see right here. This one just came in on Thursday from Black One Dragon. It says, gives you inside info on how our government is out of control. That's what we do, Black One Dragon. Uh, sorry you had to lose your job, but getting the word out like you have at least tells us how far our government is willing to go to shut people up who believe in the Constitution. Good luck and take care. Thanks so much. I will do that. Uh, folks, if you want to leave us a five-star review, I will read some of those suckers for you. And uh, we do really appreciate it. It helps us move up in the ranking. We're up almost up to 350 uh, five-star reviews. And we've only been doing this since January. So thanks for all of your support. I will catch you again on Wednesday. And uh, y'all take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin. 